Good morning, everyone. And uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with us all. It's uh, nice to be back with you after a couple of weeks uh, away. Hopefully you can tell by my face that the sun did indeed shine a wee bit uh, while we were in Tyree. Uh, in fact, I think we definitely got the best of the weather. Uh, looking at the reports from the mainland, uh, Isla and I did uh, try this new sport called supping, stand-up paddling, where you're standing on the surfboard and you're doing this. And I did think that might come in quite handy when we got back to the mainland, looking at some of the reports and the weather. Uh, but we did have a, we had a wonderful time and uh, felt very rested uh, in being away. So thank you to those of you who were asking. And I know some of you were praying for us too, that we would have a good rest, because I think we all uh, need a rest after the year and a half that we've had. And we certainly did. And we're very grateful for it. Um, just a few wee things to, to bring to your attention before we begin the service. As you know, the guidance is constantly changing. We're, we're beginning to ease back to something approaching normal. I haven't had time to process the latest guidance, and I think there's still some discussions going on between the Central Church and the Scottish Government about the rights and the rights and wrongs of what we can do over the next wee while. So for now, we're just going to continue as we have been with masks, leaving by this door, um, and maintaining social distancing until we're clearer about the way forwards. But we're hoping that as we ease into the autumn, we may begin to see more of a return to something like uh, normal. And that'll have to be worked out with each uh, different facet of church life uh, as we go. Um, Caroline Daniel has uh, asked me to let you know that on Friday the 20th of August at 10 o'clock we're going to be doing some gardening uh, around the annex uh, and you're all invited to come. You have to bring your own tools, wear your gardening clothes and Caroline will marshal you and uh, tell you what's, uh, what's going to be done on that day. Friday 20th of August at 10 o'clock. Everyone's welcome. And then lastly, just to say that today is the last of the 10 o'clock uh, services. We'll revert to 11 o'clock on next Sunday as the schools uh, start again. I can hardly believe that the schools are starting again. Where do the holidays go to? So this is the last of the 10 and we'll start at 11 next Sunday. So please do pass the word around and obviously we'll put that out on social media so others know. Those are all our announcements. So let's begin our service this morning as we worship God in the words of hymn number 123. God is love, let heaven adore him.
Let's still our hearts and minds in prayer now as we come before God. Let us pray. God, we thank you this morning for going the extra mile and taking on our humanity. You never knew weakness, tiredness, or vulnerability. You never knew the limitations of body and mind that are a part of our makeup. But you so wanted us to get who you are that you knew we'd only understand when you came in flesh to be seen, heard, held, and touched. And so you stepped down and into our world, word made flesh, God made human, to show us the measure of your character and your love in ways that would touch our hearts and minds. Lord, this morning, as ever, you meet us where we are, at the well of our living with all its hidden depths. And we set aside this time to be with you, remembering that before our busyness, there is your graciousness. Before our achievement, there is your generosity. Before our best efforts, there is your goodwill. So let our gratitude rise to you today for all that bring us life. People who love us, homes that are a haven, work to dignify, faith to bring meaning, new days to replace old. And where we have become over-distracted with ourselves, let this time we have together remind us that you are always first in graciousness, generosity, and goodwill. And our lives are only and always a response. Good God, you have planted your goodness in our lives. May we find places where it can grow here in worship this morning and beyond this time as we learn to live for you in the world. And so we offer all that we are in the prayer that Jesus taught us to say together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Continuing in our series on the woman at the well, and Eric is going to read some excerpts from John chapter 4 just now.
So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, What do you want? Or, Why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay there with him. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Saviour of the world. Amen. Thanks, Eric. We're going to sing hymn number 189 now, Be Still, and we'll remain seated to sing this one.
Let's take a minute to pray together again. Let's pray. Be still, for the power of the Lord is moving in this place. Father, do we believe that's true? May we know it to be true today. May we know as we open our hearts and minds and souls to you in worship, as we sing, as we pray, as we attend to your word, may we know that your spirit is here and speaking to our hearts and minds. Not so that we might cultivate a little privatized faith all of our own, but might be drawn more deeply and fully into your great ongoing story for the salvation of the world and play our unique part in it wherever you have placed us in this life. So hear our prayers because we ask them in Christ's name. Not a promising day. Hot, tired, slumped by a well. Chased out of Judea like a refugee. Trying to outrun controversy, Jesus sits on the border of a Samaritan village. There wasn't a placard saying Jews keep out but it was understood that Jews weren't welcome here. That's why Jesus' disciples have taken themselves off to try and look for a good Jewish village to buy some bread. Are you coming, Jesus? No, I'm too tired, boys. I'll just wait here for you. The sun is full up, bullying everything into the shade with the sheer force of its heat. It's the hour of the day when you can taste salt on your lips and sweat irrigates the clothes on your back. With no shelter, Jesus sits in the hostile heat at the edge of a hostile village, looking down Jacob's well and wishing he could have a drink. And then she appears from the shimmer on the horizon's haze, slowly resolving into a human form. Who in their right mind is fetching water at this time of day when the sun is at its highest? Only someone who knew that there was a good chance she wouldn't meet anyone else when she got there. She arrives in this story without a name. In the village of Sychar, she didn't need one because everybody knows her. There's that woman with five husbands and she's on to her sixth man now. That's the only name that she's known by. But as he watches her approach, Jesus sees more than a checkered past. He sees more even than the possibility that's contained within her life. 
he sees a daughter of the kingdom, one held as beloved by God, even though she herself doesn't know it and would probably laugh in your face if you suggested it. And I love what Jesus doesn't do next. He doesn't ignore her as a holy man might. He doesn't chastise her as a holy man probably should. He doesn't judge her as a holy man must. No opening remarks about how bad the world is. No hammering her with scriptural texts. No guilt trips. No manipulation or condescension. Just a simple question arising from his own need. Will you give me a drink of water? Wow. God in the flesh and bone of a human life approaches a serial adulterer only to ask for help. Let's just think about that for a moment. How does that sit with the picture of God that you hold in your mind? Jesus' first approach to this woman comes from his place of need. It's a humble approach. What does that tell us about God? What does it tell us about how God approaches people? What does it tell us about how we should go out and approach others? Jesus meets this woman, first of all, with his own need. And that request confers a dignity on her. He treats her as someone with something to give, as if there's a kindness still alive in her that hasn't been knocked out of her by the harsh treatment that she's had over long years. Jesus looks to the goodness still within her. Goodness that has refused to wither despite the harsh glare of the community's judgment. And as we think about that, all I can say is, thank God Jesus wasn't a Pharisee. Unable to see anything but sin and failure. Unable to see past the brokenness of our lives to men and women made in the image of God and still bearing that image, however marred and disfigured it might be because of the consequences of our living and our choices. Jesus approaches the goodness already present in that woman and he approaches it in the vulnerability of his need. How's that for crossing a boundary? And when they come to speak, he doesn't open the conversation by naming her brokenness or warning her of the fate of fallen women or showing her where she's falling short. Instead, he meets her on the ground of a goodness where however lightly her feet already stand. And he treads on that ground gently with his need. Unlike 
unlike much of what passes for evangelism, which is the business of bringing God's good news to others, Jesus begins with her goodness and not her moral failings. He doesn't start with what he has to offer her. He starts with what she might have to offer him. In asking her for a drink of water, he allows himself to be evangelized by her goodness And he does that as the way that he will begin to evangelize her with the goodness of God. That's the way in. And hesitantly, no doubt somewhat suspiciously, a conversation is born out of this expressed need. And from the banter that follows, an inquisitiveness begins to blossom in this woman as Jesus engages her in a holy different way. He talks with her and she talks with him and they share about what they see and know and believe and you don't get the sense that at any time in this conversation she feels awkward or ashamed in his company even after he names her brokenness. And what strikes me is that this must have been unlike any other conversation she was used to in the village. With him, she feels okay. Okay enough to ask. Okay enough to answer. Okay enough to hear the truth about herself. Okay enough to share the truth about herself. Okay enough to listen to what Jesus has to say and feel drawn not just to what he's saying, but to the one who's saying it. This wonderful scene that John brings us is rich with shared humanity. It's a conversation as deep as the well that they sit next to. Until, of course, the disciples return with the gawky stares of teenage boys whose eyes ask all the questions that their mouths are too afraid to speak. She picks up their discomfort, leaves her jar behind, and takes her leave. And you wonder whether it wasn't tiredness that stopped Jesus from going to buy bread with them. Maybe he was just tired of being in the company of folk who followed him, but never seemed to get what he was on about. But watch how the story develops from here. A serial adulteress becomes the first and the best witness in that village. And she does so not by throwing away her past, not by throwing away her life story, but by being able to own it in a new way. She goes back to those in the village who had absolutely no time for her, empowered to tell her story in a new way because Jesus was now a part of it. Come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. She had a story to tell, a witness to share. The one that Jesus sees as a daughter of the kingdom goes back into the village and acts like a daughter of the kingdom. Come and see, she says. Come and see this man. And the villagers who had named her by her past find themselves drawn 
into her renewed present and future. So here we have it. A serial adulteress living with a man who will share his bed, but not his name. Who's estranged from all of her neighbors and whatever residue of family she still has left in that village. And she becomes the way in which God's good news touches that place. She does something that no one else could do that day. Not Jesus. Not the disciples. She makes room for the gospel to be heard in a credible, convincing way in a Samaritan village. And so the one treated by Jesus as a daughter of the kingdom grows into what she already is by grace and becomes a witness and a messenger of that kingdom. In this story, John the Gospel writer says that Jesus begins not with a pointing finger, that's the Pharisee's way, but instead he walks over to whatever goodness we've salvaged from our wounds and our brokenness and begins by meeting us there. He sees and he names those parts of us that we think are too wild or untamed or messy or unruly to let us become children of the kingdom. But like the Samaritan woman, whose own life was far from sorted when she left the well, we too can live our lives as those who know our feelings all too well, but are still impacted by grace. A grace that enables us to own our life story and to know it in all its messiness as the place where God has and continues to meet us in a real and a living way. You and I aren't called to dispense with our past when we meet Jesus. We're not called to smother the story of who we've been. We're called to take that story and invite Jesus into it and tell it in a new way that we can own. And that in time becomes good news. As far as we know, the woman at the well never got to give Jesus a drink. She was shooed away by the returning disciples before she even got the chance. But she did get to drink from his presence. And so did the villagers when they saw how her thirst had been satisfied. And after two days in Jesus' company, maybe everybody in Sychar wondered whether Samaritans could be neighbors with Jews after all. Maybe even friends. And maybe the place to worship God wasn't this mountain or that mountain, this temple or that temple, but in the inner spaces of your own heart, laid bare before God, worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. Not a bad outcome from asking a broken woman for a drink of cold water by a well.
Alan Jeffries going to come now and lead us in our prayers for others. Let us pray together. Dear Father in heaven, we come to worship you today, safe in the knowledge that you love and care for us. Lord, when you live within our hearts, you make such a huge difference in the way we see the world, your creation, the way we view other people, our brothers and sisters, the way you support us as we face life's joys and sorrows. The story of the woman at the well tells the way of the world at that time, how Jews and Samaritans would not interact with each other, how Jesus ignored that apparently insurmountable chasm and asked the woman for a simple act of kindness. In the ensuing conversation, he offered her the water of life, which would sustain her for eternity. He offers us that same gift, the gift of eternity with him. Lord, help us to put prejudice aside, not to judge people by colour, race or creed. Help us to reach out to others by action and conversation, because we are Jock Thompson's bairns, as we Scots say, let us brothers be for all that. Two huge notions stated so simply that we understand their meaning immediately. Lord, we give thanks that you have offered us that same gift of life to the full and beyond, given in true love, and we have grasped it. With you embedded deep within our hearts, you give us confidence to take our place in the world, deep peace as our relationship with you grows ever stronger, and that sense of feeling of love which comes only from you. Lord, we give thanks for the great sense of care you have given us, care for our fellow men and women. We pray for them now. You know what support and care they require right now. Help them find what they need. Lord, you tell us to cast our worries on you, but sometimes in the midst of health, financial, relationship, or grief problems, we become so entrenched in the pit of despair that we find it so difficult to do so. However, we do know that you are there for us and we beg your forgiveness for our shortcomings in our personal faith. We find it difficult to imagine what it's like to lose our homes and all possessions to wildfires raging in Turkey, Spain, Italy and California, to lose everything to advancing floodwaters as in Germany, Belgium and Turkey, to face the advance of the Taliban in Afghanistan, to cope with the callous shootings in Plymouth. Give succor to those living in abject fear. As we grow older, we all know the feeling when a family, church or community member dies, the great sense of emptiness and hopelessness. We give thanks, Lord, when you place friends around us to help us during these times. Hear our silent prayers as we bring people to you whom we know need your help 
breakdown. Lord, we know that you did not create this world so that it is full of fear, pain, and remorse. You made this world to be perfect, and our sin spoiled that perfection. We give thanks for the life you have given us, and we pass on to our children and their children. What joy in the birth of a new child! What a responsibility! We give thanks for the shape and colour of a flower, the mastery of flight displayed by birds, the blue of the sky reflected on the sea, the caress of the wind on our face, the sounds of nature. Help us to be good stewards of your world, our world. Thank you for giving us such a wonderful place to live, that everyone know it was built and populated by your never-ending love. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose name is to be blessed. Amen. Thank you, Alan. We close our worship this morning in the words of hymn number 360, Jesus Christ is Waiting.
now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Oh.